0: America, hello, friends. Welcome to your Leo Nation. I'm your host, the Chief, Mark Garrett, the Leo Nation, where you know what we stand for, and that is the rule of law, a civil society, and self-responsibility. And we have knocked it out of the park today with the guests, who I think exemplifies those those uh, tenets, those principles. Uh, Someone I have uh, had the chance to briefly speak with before the podcast. Uh, starts and uh, comes with a uh, incredible reputation. I am talking about the sheriff of Walton County, Florida, Michael Atkinson. Sheriff, thank you so much for being a part of today's
1: show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Well, we are, we are excited. You know, there's not enough leadership, uh, not enough real leadership in law enforcement. I think that's uh, really what we're up against. There's plenty of external forces. There's no doubt about that. Those forces are real, but what we need to combat uh, is internal leadership. And uh, I think our audience is gonna find out that you're one of the people that is uh, doing just that. So just a little bit about about you, it may embarrass you a little bit, but one of the things that I really appreciate um, uh, in the sense of your being a leader of that, of that Sheriff's Department in Walton County, Florida, is that you're really a homegrown kid, are you not?
1: I am, as a matter of fact. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So you spent a lot of time in law enforcement in Florida, a few different agencies. I'm going to hand it over to you to give a little self-bio. But uh, you started in Walton County, kind of grew up there. You moved around your education, uh, worked for a, a local police department. And uh, I won't go through line by line because you might turn red with some of the accolades that you've received in honors here. But uh, I mean, past president for a Sheriff's Association um uh man of the year 2011 and so on and so on so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and if you want to you can just kind of continue about uh walton county itself kind of separate from law enforcement just about yourself and about the culture there in walton county
1: so you know chief i i think a couple things and it's interesting the path you go on in this in this uh calling i i don't i don't call it a job right it's a calling it's it's something we were led to. I, you know, I grew up in this county, Walton County, which, for your listeners, runs from the Alabama line to the coast. So it's about twelve hundred square miles uh, in the in the western panhandle of Florida. And uh, this was an extremely rural area when I was here. I was a kid growing up. I went away to school. Went to the Florida State University, and, and really spent the the next twenty years there. And you know, the strangest thing happened while I was gone this county changed. It went from, uh, you know, from a, a really very rural area that nobody was familiar with to, uh, I think I looked last week, it is the sixth fastest growing county in the United States of America. Uh, has wow. the fastest growing city in Florida. Now it's still a still primarily a small county. You know, we're, we're talking give or take 90,000 residents, but here's the kicker, uh, about 5 million visitors a year. So we are a, a tourist destination. And a county that is bifurcated by a bay. So you have some, uh, you know, some folks with some phenomenal assets coming here, visiting some of the most pristine beaches in the country. And then you have a rural area here, you know, about 800 square miles of of farmland. And uh, it's a great place. I, I moved back here. I never thought I'd live back again in Walton County. I was at the Tallahassee Police Department for, for a number of years and uh, then, you know, in and then uh, had been the chief at a small agency. And, you know, when the opportunity came to uh, just a funny side story, chief, I said, I'd never work for a sheriff. So this is too political. Can't work for a sheriff. Uh, but, you know, if you want to hear God laugh, you tell him your plans. So. <laughs> well,
0: that's interesting because, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that later on, about uh, being an elected sheriff as opposed to an appointed chief. In right. um, some of those pros and cons, I think, quite frankly, most of them are pros. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're definitely going to get into that. But uh, I, I do get the politics of, of being a sheriff, so it's, it's something else. You know, I spent a lot of time, uh, my wife and family, and I spent a lot of time in in Walton County. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, we we've, we've fallen in love with it, absolutely fallen in love with it. And um, if you'd asked me a couple years ago you know, was ever going to leave California and, you know, where would you go? It'd be like, I don't know, maybe possibly, but I can tell you right now, we're going to end up in Florida. We're going to end up in Walton County. And, and one of the reasons that we're going to end up there is because of the work, even though we've never met in person, I haven't, didn't meet you there when we were a number of times I've been to Walton County, but it's Obviously, a result of some of the things that you and your deputies do to make Walton County such a wonderful place for someone to raise a family, someone to retire, someone to vacation. And uh, you are actually walking the walk. And I can't wait to get into some of that and deep in the weeds uh, as we go. So, you talked about Walton County, um, the size of it, and really the little bit of the culture. I do want to talk about that. that that sheriff versus um, chief, you know, being appointed. I was sure. a chief. Now, again, the Highway Patrol—a chief is a two-star. Sure. They're eight field division commanders. But what are some of the what are some of the the advantages of, of being a sheriff? Now, again, I'm going to just speak real quick. I think one of the advantages are, are is is that you're able to actually make decisions based on what you think is right and wrong, what's good for for the people you serve for the people that work for you and not necessarily what makes the superior happy. So with that said, I'll just take it away.
1: Well, you know, listen, that's, that's philosophically the, uh, the main difference, because I think, you know, I, I'm, I made the joke of, of saying, I and said, I would never work for a sheriff's office. Cause it's, uh, you know, I said, Hey, listen, it's, it's too political. And I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate the difference between a sheriff's office and a sheriff's department, by the way, in just a second. But the, <laughs> uh, the, the the interesting thing about the office of sheriff particularly as it's structured in the state of Florida it's an order of magnitude less political uh you know I can tell you being as a police chief and I'd previously worked for the state of Florida and listen if you if you're a police chief um it's a tough spot to be in because you have an typically an assistant city manager a city manager uh maybe a mayor um, you know x number of councilmen all having a direct input and say into the way things are done. And they exert a, really a quiet influence on there and sometimes not so quiet. The, the thing about sheriff, being a sheriff is that we are single focus, right? Which is public safety. What is in the best interest of the citizens we serve? And I find it, I find it interesting that it's really the only level of law enforcement in the United States in which the people have a direct say. Now, I'm not talking about the rule of law because I think that's what this country is based on. That's what makes us such a unique country is, is the, this adherence to the rule of law. But I can tell you that if you're in Orange County, Florida, millions of people, or if you're in Gilchrist County, Florida, the smallest county in the state of Florida, there's some fundamental differences, right? And there's, uh, there's philosophical differences about what is important in that community, what crime, you know, how you focus on crime. How you focus on public safety as a uh, as it relates to everyday way of life. You know, interestingly enough, the sheriff's office here in Walton County, by example, and some of your listeners might find this interesting. Uh, we're also professional fire rescue. So this morning, my firefighter, EMT, paramedics were recognized as the top medical uh, fire service in the state of Florida. This county, which I you know, we're particularly wow. proud of. And you say, well, you know, how does a sheriff end up running a, uh, you know, a fire department? And it's a question I've often asked myself, if I'm being honest. Uh, but but I will tell you, when, when a few years ago, when that came into, uh, you know, when that came to be, and we were speaking to our board of county commissioners, and, and I'll talk about how a sheriff's office is structured in a second. But somebody said, well, you know, sh- sheriff, the, uh, a fire department shouldn't be with the sheriff's office. It, sh- it should report to a a mayor or city council. I said, well, maybe, I mean, should it be with the people that pave roads, pick up trash, pass ordinances and cut back trees, pick up garbage, or, or, or should it be with people that run toward the sound of gunfire and the smell of smoke? The people that work 365 days a year, the people that, uh, emergency training, the people that put themselves in harm's way, that put service over self. I said, you know what? It's absolute. You're absolutely right. It should be with people that pick up trash. And, you know, I I just, I, I said it just off the cuff. I said it off the cuff, but I'll tell you, it's fundamentally true. And I think our, even our, our fire union, we were talking to, you know, we talked to those folks when they first came over, they liked that in a sheriff's office, we are dedicated to a philosophy of public service through the adherence of policing. And I say that a little bit different than law enforcement, because if you're law enforcement, you're looking for something to enforce, right? The very terminology means something has to be broken for you to enforce. We're a public safety policing agency, which I think in the truest sense of the word is about improving the quality of life for the citizens we serve through, you know, advancing services that make them safer, that make their community safer in in whatever holistic capacity that is. So it's it's interesting, really. in sheriffing in Florida.
0: Well, it is interesting. And I guess it's it, it's as ironic as it is interesting that you have to. And I'm glad you did state the fact that the job is to enforce the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I come from a totally different culture in law enforcement than, than you are used to sheriff here in Los Angeles, Southern California, California in general. Uh, things evolved over the three decades that, that I served, the California Highway Patrol, and you know, I hate to say it, I think in in, in far too many ways, it's not the right direction, and we got away from doing those things that actually uh, uh, mean something, that, that actually represent what a police agency is there to do, and that's to enforce the law, that is to deal with bad people, a very, very small percentage of bad people that are out there, but that was our job. We, we've morphed into uh, you know, social justice and equity and, and all these things that have nothing to do in my humble opinion about the rule of law. And uh, so I'm glad to hear you say that. Let me ask you this about about the fire department. And I knew this from my trips out there, um, but I never really thought about it you know, uh, too deeply. Uh, story of my life. Um, <laughs> Mine too. So, <laughs> what what does that look like as far as chain of command of you being the sheriff is, is there a fire chief or how does that actually work
1: sure so think of it like you know again it it actually makes a lot of sense in in the regard that so as a sheriff you have typically have an under sheriff or a chief deputy and then the chief fire officer the fire chief huh gotcha. and and so they report to the essentially the chief uh you know what would be the equivalent of an under sheriff um mm-hmm. You know, we we have a, a variety of operations under us as well, too, that are um, outside the traditional scope, maybe, of, of um, some sheriff's offices. But it actually works really well. And I t- I'll tell you what we learned a lot. You know, I love joking with our firefighters, uh, but they do a heck of a good job with incident command. And just the ability to inculcate, I mean, incident command really started with the fire service, quite honestly. They do it better than law enforcement traditionally does. And it was a chance for us to really merge and blend those, blend those operations. I think pretty well. I mean, I think I've, I've been, I've been well pleased with it. Uh, Broward County, Florida, which is listen, Broward County is a huge organization. They have about, I think 5,000 deputies, give or take, they're also fire rescue. And Uh so, you know, we, we, there is a, there is a template for this in Florida. uh, But I'm, I've been well pleased with how, how, how this has come together.
0: Well, it's it's really interesting. Now, one thing I will say about the agencies here in, in, in California is that because we deal with so many uh, natural disasters, so it's wildfires, earthquakes, of course, civil unrest, I mean, we're, we're the epicenter wow. uh, of that. And then, of course, here in Los Angeles County, it's the epicenter of the epicenter. It's the eye of the storm with that. I will say this. I, I wouldn't have said it when I was chief just because, you know, I didn't right. have much class, but but <laughs> but. As far as ICS, as far as working with allied agencies and the fire department specific we're talking about, they do a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. LA County Fire, LA City Fire, uh, even the smaller agencies, Burbank, Pasadena, they do a fantastic job. I'm glad to hear the same is true there in Walter County. I'm not surprised, but I'm I'm glad to hear it. There's one thing that you mentioned um, uh, when we're talking about uh, enforcing the law and and that was service to others about what you're there for and that takes me to the next uh discussion i want to have or topic i want to touch on i was going through your website a little while back and i came across a section called employee expectations right and i'll I'll tell you right now i i was in seventh heaven reading that (laughs) and and i listen i encourage anybody listening to watching this podcast go to Walton county sheriff's department and click on employee expectations and i'm going to let you expand on this and talk about it but it, it almost seems like because of the world in which we live now in general it almost seems humorous because it's so in your face it is so stark it is so non-compromising. It is unabashedly proud of the principles of the Walton County Sheriff's Department. Yeah. And for example, I mean, one of them was about you know if you want to have a certain hair color, this is not the job for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you think that you're going to uh, not miss your kids' uh, sporting event, uh, this is not the job for you. If you think you're going to not, not work Christmas, this is not the job for you. And sure. it goes on and on, and on, and on, and this is not only for your employees, but it's for, it's for potential applicants. So I want for you to expand on that philosophy. And by the way, any other bullet points from employee expectations right. you'd like to talk about, right. so, but I,
1: I love it. So, you know, that's an interesting thing. I, I, I spend a, a fair amount of time. I sit on the criminal justice standards and training commission for the state of Florida, which is the disciplinary arm, uh, for state law enforcement. And, you know, you see, we continue to see applicants come into this profession with, I don't want to say unrealistic because I, that would be giving it too much gravitas. They simply, uh, they have no idea what level of expectation this, this profession has. And, you know, we found that we were spending, you know, months getting applicants, get them in there, get them out of academies, coming to us and, you know, and they'd say things like, well... You know, uh, I don't want to work at night. (laughs) I I can't go in there by myself. Um, You know, I'm going to miss Christmas. I I need this day off. Uh, You know, uh, well, it's I can post whatever I want. That's not the sheriff's. You know, we have a First Amendment right. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I had a a former undersheriff and he he said it it works like this. If your personal life becomes the sheriff's problem, it's going to end poorly. But we, we really have applicants that we, when we came in, they really have, I, I said this, I'm, I'm not their parent, you know, I, I didn't raise them, but you may have done that at your house, but you won't do it at ours. Hmm. And so what we did is we put these little tongue in cheek, uh, but very blunt, very in language a layperson can understand of what our expectations are. Just as an example, you'll be at work on time. That that's not a suggestion. It's not. We hope you get around to it because to be late is to be disrespectful of somebody else's time. You know, we're, we're not going to be tolerant of that. Uh, you're you're not going to be drunk in public. I, one of them that said, I think it says you you, will, you won't be drunken in public. You're not going to be uh, at a wet T-shirt contest dancing on the bar. Not going to have it. You won't work here. Uh, you're you're I know you you can. You can, in the privacy of your home, you can do what you want to do as long as it doesn't. But anything you do that brings disregard to this profession that I've dedicated my life to, that tarnishes that star, we're going to have a problem with it. And, and we, you know, I fundamentally believe this, that we hire character and we teach aptitude, right? We hire character, we teach aptitude. I can teach job skills. We can teach you job skills. But your character, if I have to tell you it's a bad idea... And you don't know that? If you're gonna come in, you're gonna you are going to i am sure Chief, you, you've dealt with this as you know, we would always get these applicants coming in, and uh, you know, we still polygraph, we're old school like that. We still polygraph, we run credit checks and all these good things. And and one of my one of my uh captains at the time says, you know, Sheriff, every cop's financing three ex-wives, a boat payment, and a gun payment. I said, That's that's true, that's true, but they didn't start that way. So, you know, we uh we're we're, we're we're trying very hard to say this is our expectations and, and we don't want you to be surprised. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, certain things are not OK. They may be OK right. in other professions, but they're not in this one. And so what we found is at the bottom, there's a statement of these job expectations that says if anything about these expectations give you pause, we suggest you discontinue the hiring process. I, I love it. it. Yeah, keep let, keep let's going, do keep it keep now. It let's get that out of the way. Let's get let's get it over with.
0: So I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just so excited about that, about that statement. Um, In other words, laying it on the line and not listen, we all, I said former uh, law enforcement, but all of those who were in in management positions in law enforcement or otherwise recruitment positions, we all uh, do the best we can. We spend a lot of energy trying to find good recruits, good applicants. There's no doubt about that. Sure. But when law enforcement starts getting desperate to fill positions, bad with, things happen, bad things happen. Bad Sure. Sheriff, you're absolutely right, I, the, I use the analogy about the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is the smallest, you know, obviously branch of the military of uh, the four big ones, I guess, five big ones now with the Space Force. But the point is, is that the Marines, to their credit, have always emphasized how exclusive they are. In other words, you know what, there's virtually nobody out there who can become a Marine. And it's worked to their advantage over the last 100 200 years that they've done this plus. And I I certainly believe that that the approach you're taking, which is similar, is the right way to go. Even, Even if it may discourage one or two otherwise good applicants, I think it's so important for law enforcement to let people know that there's a reason that most people cannot do this job because most people are just not suited for it. If you think you're one of the few the proud the sheriffs, then come on over. So I I love what you're doing. I wish uh more law enforcement did that and uh standards are not something that we can screw with if we want to protect the people we're supposed to be protecting. So I applaud you for that and keep well, it up.
1: Well, well thank you. You know, and I and I'll tell you one of the when we got to this point, one of the other things we said is Listen, if you go to any organization, and we did this in our organization, we called in about 60 folks, uh, just kind of a sampling of, of, you know, supervisors and said, look, you know, if I ask you to give me the name of three people, don't don't say the name, don't shout them out. But if I gave you a sheet of paper and said, listen, write the name down of three people who every time you see their name on a, on a schedule with you. You go, Oh, everything's a conspiracy. It, they're organizational terrorists. They're, they're sitting around in their underwear at three in the morning, writing the anonymous email, right? That everything is, you know, all, everything's a problem. We all know it. They've moved them around three or four times. And I'm going to ask you this, is this a technical term? So they suck and you don't want to work with them. So let me ask you this question. If I ask you to write names name of three people down on a sheet of paper, I'm willing to bet my badge that out of this group of 60 people, at least two names will be on everybody's list. And I said, does anybody disagree with that? And everybody's like, no, that's true. I said, no, let me ask you this. Why are they still working here? Mm. See, because the same fundamental truth applies to retention as it does into hiring. Somewhere along the line, we say we're so short or things are so tough that we retain. And I think it's what gets cops in problems is we retain mm. people that we need to let go. And I think there's absolutely no problem with saying, listen, there's a shelf life and y- y- it's time for you to consider another profession. Maybe we're, maybe this is not the place for you anymore. But we're so afraid of doing that, that we bring those, those young men and women in and uh, we let them become adversely affected by those folks, these organizational terrorists, if you will. And, you know, I, I think setting high standards and listen, no agency is perfect and no employee is Mary Poppins every day, right? We all go through ebbs and flows in our careers. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those folks that are absolutely institutional terrorists. Right. And, 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 you know, we have, what we call an early warning system here, which I, I is, is worked really well for the employees, believe it or not, which is we kind of take a look at like, say for instance, rudeness complaints. If you get a certain number of rudeness complaints in a certain amount of time, you're referred to counseling. Now, somebody said, oh, you know, every cop was panicked about that, right? Oh, my gosh, I got to go to counseling. But here's the truth. We could always write down the same names. We knew who was who was going to be, you know, and it's interesting when it's different people. It's not one in, one citizen comes in contact. It's not two citizens. It's not one employee. When everybody that's coming in contact with you is saying you've got an issue, the question is, and we all know it, why haven't we dealt with it? Mm-hmm. And so that's something we're, we're trying to say, uh, how to, you know, uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's office, we actually stole some, a program from them and we've continued with it. Uh, this, this philosophy of a better, not bitter, you know, so even our disciplinary approach, we feel like t- t- intervening early in a deputy sheriff's career, you know, maybe they need some help. Maybe they're going through some trauma, maybe some things on that, that to me can be different than somebody who is, a, a true disciplinary issue that organizational terrorists. So we just find that deputies perform better and that they are happier when you stay engaged in their careers and help guide them, you know, and, and, and by the way, it shows you care, quite frankly, you know, for, for our deputies yeah. we have, and I don't know if you guys used to do this with the highway patrol, but you think about it, we send all these deputies and troopers to academies, right. and, mm-hmm. We, we they're the best shape. They've had their psychological counseling. They've had their mental health counseling. They're physical, all this stuff. And We cut them loose, and we never do it again. Yeah, we never do it again. You know, and 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 we know we know factually that the average span of a law and full career law enforcement officer is about five years after they retire. Yeah. and and that's because we don't adhere to the same level of discipline, and I mean discipline in a positive sense, not discipline in suspending you, but discipline into. We're going to make you take, help you make, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, we instituted here a mandatory physical fitness test every six months. It's not, it's it's really a physical abilities test. You have to maintain that to keep your job here for the rest of your career. Now, people say that's harsh. Well, it's, you know, we're not, it's the same standard for men and women. Same standard for a 65 year old or a 10 year old. Now, wait, wait,
0: Wait a minute. I, I, I think he said something inappropriate there that you, what, you have the same standards for all your
1: employees. Oh, yeah, absolutely. it's same Oh, my God. I, I, I guess we're yeah. canceled tomorrow. Yeah, we're, we're probably done here. And you know oh what I told you, yeah, yeah told you know, Somebody said the other day, and they said, well, you know, I, I remember when we first did this, the unions, other folks, said, hey, you're not going to do this. I said, well, we'll see you in court. Good. Because we're not going to lower our standards. Because this is something I'm not doing to you. I'm doing for you. Excellent. Because uh, here's what I know about cops. If people say, well, Sheriff, why do you run it twice a year? Why not once? Because I know cops and they'll wait to the last, you know, two weeks to, to, to try to work on this stuff. And it doesn't make them physical specimens passing this test, but it does mean there's a level of, of uh, physical ability that they can do their job, right? That's why we mm-hmm. don't separate between men and women or age, because it doesn't matter. There's a certain set of job skills you have to do. And, and it's not, you don't get a sliding scale on that. You know, and, and, uh, but we're doing it for them. And it's the same thing with our mandate. We do mandatory physicals every three years. You're going to go That's get, awesome. you're going to go see a doctor. I don't get the results of those physicals. It's not for me. It's for them. We send them to all safety sensitive positions, have to go to mental health counseling and a group therapy, uh, you know, every, every three years. And then we said, listen, and we had several come say, listen, Sheriff, we'll quit. You can't make us do this. I said, well, I can. And I am because I'm doing it not to you. I'm doing it for you because I want you to be able to stay married. I I don't want you to develop drinking problems. I don't want you to die of that stress related heart attack and type two diabetes because I didn't care. And I tell it all the time. I manage like mama, mama. Don't care if you like it. I care if you're safe and you're successful. And if you don't like it, the highway patrol is hiring every day. (laughs) We got to pick on the highway patrol. That's my, listen, yeah.
0: Look, out here in California, the LAPD, they say, hey, you know what CHP stands for, right? I go, yeah, what does it stand for? Can't handle police work. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've heard it a thousand times. And, and then when I would stop them in the carpool lane with their trailer, they call me, sir. So anyway, yeah, that's right. Um, that's right.
1: Yeah. But- well, you know what's funny, Chief? You know, interesting because the Florida Highway Patrol, Colonel Gene Spaulding's a, a friend of mine, and we serve on the commission. Uh, the the criminal justice standards and training the disciplinary body for the state of Florida, both Colonel Spalding and I, and we, you know, it's, it's interesting because I tell you what the highway patrol, you know, I I won't say this, you know, hopefully Colonel Spalding won't hear this till later. uh, But, but I think FHP the Florida highway patrol did Mm -hmm. such an excellent job of years of branding. And I stole that from them. You know, we, we stole that from them, this idea of branding an esprit de corps, uh, you mentioned the Marine Corps, but it's how we've told it here to, for many, many years. They did an excellent job of that. And then, of course, they face struggles as every agency has. But listen, we stole a lot of that from those folks, from the, from uh, their troopers and the way they did business. And it's I think that's the way it should be, you know. Well, it
0: should be. Uh, listen uh, y- y- here. And again, I, I want to go back up a little bit. A couple of things just about standards you touched on not touched on that you really articulated very well. But uh, about um, the Highway patrol, I said things have kind of gone in the wrong direction in certain ways. I'll, I'll tell you this. I still believe, I still believe the California Highway patrol is one of the finest law enforcement agencies in the country, mm-hmm. if not the world. It's the only one that I applied to in 1989 because of its reputation. And I think the CHP still leads there. So when I say things have gone the, the direction I, not happy about it, just means it could be better. It doesn't mean they're not still great. And as far as you know, stealing from other agencies, my god, if you're not doing that, they you're not interested in learning from other professionals. Absolutely. It's exactly what leaders do mm-hmm. they they show humility, they ask their peers or colleagues or partners, Hey, what are you doing right? What do you feel that you're that you could improve on? Things like this, this is how we crossbreed, how we learn from each other. It shows leadership. The other thing you talked about as far as standards. I want to ask you about that. Hey, we have the same standards, no matter your age, no matter your sex, no matter what, have you had any, any real like institutional pushback or anything negative, or has it been an overall positive for the department?
1: So I'll tell you the the history of this. And I think understanding how we got there will will help that. Um, About 14 years ago, give or take, we had a, a situation where, uh, uh, deputies became involved in a shootout and there was a deputy who was unable to get themselves up off the ground effectively because of knee problems. Almost immediately after that, we had a situation where a deputy could not jump this fence. Uh, and, you know, and, and I, and I, and I was new in office at the time. And I remember saying to uh, the the patrol major, I said, listen, he, he he left his partner the the female deputy jumped the fence she actually pulled the car up to the edge jumped the fence pursued a a burglar and and i said what about this this other guy uh you know sheriff at his age he just can't get it well, that's not acceptable to me that's not acceptable to me because his inability to do that put other people at risk and I, and quite frankly we were putting him at risk by not adhe- making him adhere to a standard that he used to could meet uh we were putting him at risk and i said we're just we're not going to do this but we also knew we would face unprecedented legal challenges. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, everything from, as I said to the unions, you know, again, we're doing this for you, not to you. And and you should be the greatest proponent of this. They were not, but they should be the greatest proponent of this because we're looking at, I'm doing what you should be doing, which is looking out after your people. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went out and found a job specialist, PhD who looked at the task performs and that was the key to it being successful. And we had about two years of a grandfather in, in other words, we built the course on a, on our main campus. And we spent two years. I went out and ran it two days a week. Anybody come run it with a sheriff, walk it with a sheriff. I mean, you could, you could just about walk it at the time. And, uh, you know, we said, but I, but I said, I want you guys to understand there is going to come a time this is going to count. This is going to count and the X number of, you know, this is uh, by this date. We all have to do it. And, uh, you know, obviously we have people that didn't didn't think that was the case or thought maybe we were suggesting it or whatever. And mm-hmm. and when that that time came, I, I I just said unequivocally, I'm not going to bend. on there, there will be no bend on this matter. And of, of course, you know, we had a certain number that didn't make it, but I think what most of the staff saw was the, the test was reasonable. It was fair. And it, you know, it's not actually a physical fitness test. It's a physical abilities, a job abilities test. And when they saw that they were like, Hey, this, this man or woman, you know, pick, pick whatever deputy they needed to retire. They were not capable of doing this job and everybody around them knew that but nobody would say it because one of the things that happens with supervisors in law enforcement, uh, nobody wants to have those hard conversations. Yep. You know, just like yeah. I talked about the, the people, that nobody, you, you know, people that nobody wants to work with, nobody wanted to work with, but nobody would tell them. Yep. And so I said, we're going to have that hard conversation. So yes, we faced uh gosh, numerous lawsuits. We beat every one of them. We, we didn't, we beat it on age, uh, gender, you name it. It was, so it has not been successfully challenged in the state of Florida in well almost 15 years now.
0: Well, I'll tell you right now, I, I pray that other, I'm going to say this specifically and with purpose. I hope other heads of agencies have a chance to hear the things you just said. I said heads of agencies. I didn't say leaders. because right, Just because right. you have a position means nothing about one's leadership. Amen. But I hope other people hear this, and, and even if you're not top of the food chain, other people within organizations, that you did something that a leader does, you did what you thought was right for your employees, for the people that they serve, despite what you knew was coming. That's leadership. And of mm-hmm. course, here's the good news. Everything has worked out well in a legal sense, and my God, if it happens, you know, so be it. You're still doing the right thing based on principle. And and I I just uh, I am just absolutely uh, grateful that you have. I know you've been there for about twelve years. You've been through. I'm sure, uh, like I did as a chief, a lot of uh, legal, uh, uh, you know, uh, wash cycles. Yeah. And
1: uh, defendant so, is what they should call you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty,
0: pretty yeah. much yeah. pretty
1: much. So
0: your leadership, sheriff, um, it not only shows internally. Um, but it shows in the job that you actually have to do, which you articulated earlier, which is to enforce the law.
1: Can I, can I, can I tell you something real quick? You might find interesting. And this is before I say this, I want you to understand this is not, I like Mike. I, this is just, and maybe, (laughs) and, and maybe this speaks to one of my major character flaws, but so interesting about the state of Florida, you serve at the will and pleasure of the sheriff. So you're technically not hired, you're bonded or appointed. And I came into office in 2008. I I had not worked for the sheriff's office. I did not know. I had never set foot in the Walton County Sheriff's office prior to being elected sheriff. And that that's, that's kind of an interesting, I didn't know anybody. I didn't come up. I had no law enforcement background. I spent most of my career in Tallahassee, uh, you know, which is a, a large organization, thousand employees over there, you know, it was a little bit different. And, um, you know, so when we came in the building about strange year in 2009, we had a, an abnormal amount of law enforcement involved shootings. It was, it was strange. We haven't had anything like that since. And maybe that's the new election curse. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of those was a shooting uh, where a deputy sheriff ended up having to kill this individual. And what is essentially a suicide by cop. He ended up being unarmed, uh, but basically run down the barrel of the gun, intimidating that, intimating that he had a weapon. This was about three and a half months after I wasn't in office. And um, Florida has this really interesting caveat to its law, which says the sheriff can be held personally accountable for the conduct of his deputy sheriff. So you can be sued as an agency head, which, which happens pretty routinely. I'm, I'm sure, you know, any, any of your listeners that have been in this business that they, they, you, you get sued and, and you get sued as the agency head. Right. But in this particular case, when the, this lawsuit came down on this, I was being sued as the agency head, but they also sued me personally. And what they said is as the sheriff that I should not have retained this person, that I have mm-hmm. the ability to pull their ticket and their certification. And I, I'll never forget because I went home and I was talking to my wife um, about this at the time. And, and this this thing, we were in federal court and this thing was continuing to rock on. And basically the attorneys came to us and said, listen, listen Sheriff, if you'll terminate this guy, if you'll let him go, it's, you know, in their, in their words, it's a, a bad shooting, a sketchy shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. You shot, an, your deputy shot an unarmed man. Uh, they claimed he had had disciplinary problems prior to us. And he said, listen, but if you'll let him go, we'll drop you personally. But we're going to sue you as the agency head, but you're not on the hook personally. But And I said, well, I, I never get sent. I said, well, excuse me, explain that to me again. What are you saying again? If you'll drop, you know, if you'll terminate this deputy, then we'll drop you from this lawsuit. And I said, I tell you what, sport, hell of food's <laughs> over before we do that. Hell, I, I promised you under things that are not going to happen. Um, I'm not firing that guy. And, and I remember going home, but I, I couldn't buy a home for a couple of years because if you remember when you're asked to buy any kind of purchase, it says, you know, essentially, are you pending lawsuit? Well, yeah. the official ones don't count, but when you're being sued personally, you have to list that. And I remember somebody said, do you, you know, would you, do you know this deputy? I said, I've never seen him for my life. Never met him other than, I mean, when I swore him in, but I know I'm not going to bend capitulate to, uh, sell one of my people out just for 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 my own well-being. It, that that particular moment with the, with the deputies who I'd never worked with and about unfortunately there were 5 deputy sheriffs murdered in a joint county uh in Okaloosa County which is next door to us. Mm-hmm that roughly in that in a, in like a two year span right there. And one of those situations involved us being involved in myself, unfortunately, because I got bad luck being involved in a, in a shootout with a bank robber there, just, just bad luck. Nothing more than I happened to be there when he came out kind of deal. It bought me a level of, of credit with our deputies and our staff that I think helped show our organization that I was committed to their well-being first. And if, I think, so if you ask me what allowed us to make some of these really substantive, hard changes is that I had the respect of our staff. And I don't, I don't take that lightly. I mean, I, I, I take that very, it means more to me than anything else in this in this business. But that's that our men and women working here support and and uh, respect. It allowed us to say, you know, when we do these things to make us better. The boss is all in. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, in my in my mind, I think that was that was where it empowered us to make these really substantive changes that have paid a lot of dividends over the years. Now they don't need me, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> now they don't need me. They're a great job. I'm, I'm 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 kind of in the way.
0: I yeah. uh, I doubt that seriously. It um, he says it's not all about uh, Mike to quote you, uh, but I am so glad you told that story because again it goes right back to leadership, and uh, it goes it goes to buy in, and and oh, yeah. when when your team sees something like that, seeing you put yourself on the line, your rear on the line. They're willing to walk through fire for you, Amen. And and Amen. And, uh, and I'm sure this is why you've been reelected numerous times to that to that position. Um, so it, it's fantastic. It's just excellent. And I again, I, I really mean this sincerely. I hope that you know other heads of agencies, real leaders of agencies, are hearing this because it will embolden people to do the right thing. They're seeing you know what if Sheriff Atkinson can do this. If this is the, the uh, behavior engages in. I can and should be doing it as well. So, kudos it's, to you for that,
1: Chief. And you know, the truth is, w- when you do these, embark upon these things. You know, I, every attorney said you cannot make a mandatory physical fitness test. You cannot send people to mandatory account. You can. You just got to have the stomach to do it. Now, that's yeah. It's, it's not. It's not that you can't. I mean, attorneys' favorite word is no, right? Yeah. And, and but I, I tell them I'm going to get sued either way. And I would rather be sued for trying to do what is the right, I believe, I'm not always right, but what I believe to be the right thing, then, you know, if we lose, we lose and, and right. we'll, 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 we'll walk that off. We'll deal with yep. it. Well, that's exactly right. And and we can talk about
0: negligent retention because I, I have to have it back on again. and And I'll throw out one name that all of us who actually believe in the rule of law and our personnel doing the right thing. That's Derek Chauvin, Minneapolis. Okay. That was, I mean, that's the poster child case of negligent retention. Absolutely. And aside from what happened to George Floyd, why he died and things like that, uh, it's a separate issue from negligent retention. That's why the city of Minneapolis wrote that huge check to George Floyd's uh, family, is because he should have been fired a decade ago. So, oh, yeah, I, that's Listen, Chief, that is, yeah.
1: th- 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 I mean, that, you you just absolutely touched on it. Someone's failure to address his issues Mm -hmm. for whatever reason that is when it's a failure of leadership and it's a failure. So management is fundamentally the art of control, right? The, the, The failing to do that, failing to address that early on, allow that behavior to grow. And by the way, the question is, had it been dealt with, would he would he have grown into being that officer? Would he Probably have become not. the guy that you know later? Because the yeah. truth is when you see him, he doesn't think he's killing that guy. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. He's doing it with disregard for his well-being and safety. That mm-hmm. That's, that, that's a separate issue, but he's not mm-hmm. intending to murder that guy. I mean, let, let's, let's be pragmatic for a second. I, 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 I'm with you. I agree with that. But, but the truth is that, that disregard that uh, uh, disdain for, for that individual for, for George Floyd and for, mm-hmm that's guarantee you, that's a meha- behavior, as you well know, that was manifest probably every day he was on the job. It, absolutely right. It was, it. it was callous.
0: It was callous. It was arrogant. Absolutely. And, absolutely. and this is what we cannot have a
1: law enforcement that you idiot. Gotta Fire these people. You got yeah, to fire. They them. They got to go. They yeah. got to go, you know, and, and, and we, uh, I, I, I try to, you know, I, what I always say is I can, we can discipline and we can create areas of, deficiency and technical skills and maybe even made a bad judgment, right? It's my job or our job to make sure those are corrected. You're trained better, better, not bitter, right? But if you have malfeasance in your heart, if you're going to cheat, lie, steal, abuse your authority, I'm going to do everything within my influence to end your career. I, I don't make any... I don't make any bones about that. I do everything I can to end careers for those people that I don't believe should be there. And every, you know, about every four months I sit on this disciplinary board for criminal justice standards and training, and I am appalled. I mean, fundamentally appalled at the people that are allowed to keep their certificates. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't. When I was first appointed to that board by Governor uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, right after he came into office, I remember getting the first briefing for basically trials we were going to have on these disciplinary hearings. And a captain handed me, go goes, sheriff, I'm just going to tell you before you look at this, you're not going to like this. <laughs> he said, I know you, you're, you're not. And I thought they're going to kick me off this thing because this is not acceptable. Yeah. You know, and, and, but I think all of us as, as leaders in this, in this profession, we have to say, you know, we, we, there's a different, I, I want I'll give you an example of oh, the former commissioner of department of law enforcement here in Florida. He said something that has grabbed me. And I, I think is absolutely true. You can do something that's lawful, but awful. Right. But, yeah. but also means that you don't need to be the police anymore. Hmm. Right now. And, yeah. and, and, and you've got to be able to differentiate between those things. In other words, you don't need to be criminally charged, but you don't need to be the police right but i'll bet my badge that there were indicators before we ever got to that before we ever got to it that somebody did not want to address cuz they were afraid of hurting your feelings or they were afraid of being sued or you know and, and I'm, i guess i'm coming across like a till of the hunt a little bit but i think we're doing them a disservice we fired a deputy sheriff right after i came into office um that had a had a dui and i i fired him um and i said to someone at the time had he worked for us the previous five years, I don't think we'd be here. Mm-hmm. I don't because he had had numerous speeding issues mm-hmm. that nobody had dealt with, and it. I think it encouraged this behavior of above the law. Mm-hmm. I'm above the law, right? Yeah. And so I don't think we did him any any justice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think I think that's one of the things. Everything doesn't have to be chopped their head off. And, and it shouldn't be, it should be corrective and, and, and trying to make staff better, but you do, you do staff, you do our profession, absolutely zero good when you fail to address this. Right. right. And, and, if, and and by the way, if it's, if it's, if your problem is a, if you got a problem in your heart, you got to get rid of those pokes immediately. Yep. I don't care how short you are. I don't care how, um, uh, I listened to, uh, do you remember the, the chef Anthony Bourdain you know, uh, you know he was a pretty famous oh. chef had a TV show no reservations and yes he, i do so i do I read his book um you know and he he's pretty profane potty mouth and you know mm. and say another way and 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 i so i read his book and in his book he said something to the effect of i don't care how good or how talented somebody is as a chef if they cause disruption get rid of them because nothing they ever do will make it uh will make up for the disruption they cause in your kitchen thought that was interesting about Two weeks later, I was listening to a lecture from the vice president of BMW USA, and he said, I don't care how capable or competent this sales manager is. They run, I don't care if he's making BMW more money than anybody else. There's nothing he'll do that can make up for the disruption he calls if you don't discipline and take care of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, when a chef and the president of BMW, vice president of BMW says it, I bet it's applicable to what I do. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. so we've tried to adhere to that. Well, principles are principles. Principles across every yeah, across every, and they're not negotiable. By the way, no, they're they're
0: they're not. not. No, in fact, I just wrote a piece yesterday that I'll publish here pretty soon. But you know, I I talk about that that two plus two always equal four, always. It never changes, and principles never change. Virtues never. Circumstances do. Decisions change, but principles and virtues never change. If they do, we live in a chaotic. Uh, world without any boundaries whatsoever. So speaking of chaotic world and boundaries, I want you to talk about, because I did talk to uh, your chief of operations at, when I had breakfast with him. He told me a story about really your, your attention to detail, your zero tolerance policy really for law breaking in the county, uh, something that unfortunately is foreign here in the golden state of California. Uh, everything is negotiable here. Um, at the very best. But he told me about uh, one aspect, a lot of things, and you can expand on this, but he talked about how you deal with spring breakers and uh, and where they end up if they may have consumed alcoholic beverages before the 21st birthday. Um, and that was the foundation. He told me more, but I really want you to talk about how, as a sheriff, how, as a department, you see quote unquote low level crime and how you deal with it and what the effects are.
1: So so listen, quality of life initiatives, um it, you know, it's certainly not my idea, it's certainly not new. You know, many of us have been around long enough, remember the old broken pain uh theory of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Just because it's old doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. And and our, our philosophy is that when if you want people to come to Walton County, if I'm trying to get the chief here to come and buy a home in, in Walton County Uh, You got got to have to have four things, right, which is you have to have good roads, good infrastructure, good schools for our children, uh, good health care, hospitals, and people have to feel safe. And quality of life initiatives, loud music, disorderly conduct, graffiti, all those things that are not uh, sexy, if you will, for, for many organizations, they undermine the rule of law when they're not enforced and they undermine the quality of life of people that live in these communities. Now I'm not talking about jackbooted thugs. What I'm talking about is a reasonable response and thoughtful attention to detail that everything matters. You know, I, I had a Lieutenant years ago I'll never at the Tallahassee police department, Mark Wheeler. And I remember him saying something And this, by the way, this guy looked like Superman, right? You know, six, mm-hmm. 250 pounds, solid muscle. And, 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 a, and a, a young patrol officer was beside me and check on and we were just, complaining about the state of the world. And, and, uh, this young officer said, you know, I'm tired of going to this noise complaint. You know, we should be out catching bad guys. Not only this noise complaint. And I remember this Lieutenant, you know, big SWAT guy, attack, tact guy. And he said, you know what? He said, officer, let me explain something to you. He said, you don't understand this right now. He said, but at two o'clock in the morning, when your baby can't sleep and your wife has to get up to go to work tomorrow and she's crying, and you haven't slept all night there is nothing more important to you than that noise complaint. Mm-hmm. And it just resonated with me because that was a guy that had been around and knew that there is nothing more when, when you don't have peace in your home, when you have peace in your neighborhoods, uh, it, it, it just creates a tension and it creates a sense of, I can do whatever I want. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to tolerate that, you know, and, and interesting enough. So we talk about spring break specifically, we're not a traditional spring break destination. We're not um, the old Daytona Beach, if you will, back in, back in the day or Fort Lauderdale spring break. But about 10 years ago, we had, for whatever reason, we had gotten discovered by a, a lot of the, the fraternities and sororities and the schools across the southeast. And traditionally, we were not that type of environment because, quite frankly, it's too expensive to vacation here to do that. So, you know, $10,000 a week rooms, we were not prepared for college kids coming in and doing that. So year one, we, there was kind of a a nationalized effort across the Southeast, at least to make the Sandestin, Destin area, a, a spring break destination, meet up in Destin kind of deal. And it caught us off guard because we were not familiar with that. And so we issued, you know, an obscene amount of notice to a which are essentially summons. I don't know what they call it in California, but basically you, you're getting this rest, but we get, well, we found that these kids all had disposable incomes. It was a right. badge of honor. They were making their TikToks with it. They were doing, you know, this a little bit for TikTok, but you know, they were taking their pictures, posting. Oh yeah, I'll be back, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, this is clearly not working. So we're going to try something else. And we developed what we call the rule of three which is every underage possession of alcohol the next year goes to the Walton County jail. Now we don't take them in back and put them with hardened felons and, you know, or things like that. But what we did is make them drive 65 miles to the County jail. And it took three of their friends and GPS to find it, which ruined a whole night. And it, after we arrested about a thousand amazingly chief over the next year or two, we, We started choking this problem down. And I think now we arrest on average that we actually have to take less than 100 because we just we deal with it. Now, we're actually facing a new challenge now, which is and it's a sign of our times is in our really high end vacation here. We have people coming and it's their 13, 14, 15 year olds. Well, you got to handle those kids entirely different. Handling yeah. a juvenile, as you well know, is a, a different animal. Sure. So, we're, you know, we're, there's always adjusting t- challenges, but the, the thing about it is we adhere to the belief that quality of life initiatives and, and, and law enforcement speaks to the overall health of a community. You show me a community that won't arrest for petty theft or yeah. retail theft or disorderly intoxication and all that, and I'll show you a place with homeless problems. I'll yep. show you a place with theft problems. I'll go to a place that people don't want to live. Um, it, it, people don't want that, and so in Florida, you know, with, and, and again, with all due respect to our 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 brothers and sisters in law enforcement across the country, but Florida has a specific statute in in, in Chapter Thirty, the Florida statute says the sheriff will absolutely conserve the peace, and here comes this last line with a strong hand. Wow, to quell disturbance and riots, and so the Florida legislature as protests were going on in 2020 and we saw this looting and rioting in a lot of places, the Florida legislation went back and said, Hey, we're serious about this. Mm-hmm. Sheriff, you will double down. So there's no state police in Florida, right? There are a couple of different state police agent agencies that have certain, uh, areas of responsibility, but there's no overall state police. That's that is constitutionally charged the sheriffs in every County in the state of Florida to be the chief law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. And so if for instance, I allowed, riot and destruction of property, the legislature could move to remove me from office for failure to to do my duty. And so it's, I just said to people, I said, you're not going to see that in Florida, not for long, not for long, because unless the community wants it, unless the community tolerates it, you're just not going to, a sheriff in Florida, and I don't care if they're the most liberal sheriff or the most conservative sheriff, they're not going to do it because they are constitutionally mandated to to bring order to that. So, you know, that doesn't mean, again, I'm not trying to say be a jackbooted thug, but but there is a riot law in Florida, basically a protest law that says you start destroying property, you're, I mean, so for me not to take action is a dereliction abdication of my duty. And you can be removed from office from that.
0: Well, as it should be, as it should be everywhere. Absolutely. And again, I used the word a minute ago about another example you gave, but, you know, these concepts are Foreign. They're literally foreign to so many, not only a law enforcement officials, but lawmakers. Yeah. And uh, I know I keep uh, going back to uh, my unfortunate example, my current residence in the state. But what you said is it, just it, it it wouldn't even be understood, let alone accepted um, at least types of things. Well, people have the right to do this. They have the right to do that. It's, it's all about what the lawbreaker's rights are which are not rights, quite frankly. But yeah, you're, you're well,
1: so, you know, listen, everybody wants to talk about their rights and nobody wants to talk about responsibilities. That's right. right? That's right. That's and, why, listen, one of our tenants is self-responsibility on this show,
0: because, look, Sheriff, sorry to jump in, but it, in other uh, words, you're, you're hitting in so many, so many important points about the rule of law. And I tell people, look, we all, Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a sanitation worker, whether you're a dog trainer, whether you're a professional football player, you're an airline pilot, you're a car salesman, doesn't matter what it is, we should all learn to be our own first responders. And what I mean by that is the first thing that we have to do as individual members of our communities is to abide. By the law, that's the first response to law enforcement is actually abiding by the law, and then being your brother's keeper, so to speak, about speaking out, which I do in my own neighborhood sometimes about you know petty things, about you know leaving trash cans on your street or, or things it's like the social this. Con- Chief, it's
1: it's the this. social contract. Absolutely, there's the same people that don't push their. I always give this. people don't push their their grocery carts back, right? That's I mean- right
0: hundred percent. By the way, yeah. the other day, it's just, you know, anecdotes are awesome. The other day I'm at a grocery store. So on Saturday afternoon, picking up some food to cook for the family that night, family and friends. And, and uh, in front of me, there's, I'm not kidding. She must've been at least 95 years old, this lady by herself, mm-hmm. the sweetest little thing. She was tiny. She's all the, you know, 90 pounds pushed in a fully loaded uh, shopping cart. And when the, uh, the back boy loaded everything up he said ma'am do you need some help with your car and she, said, oh no no i'm fine i'm fine and I went, wow and it's about 90 degrees and off she went out the door and i wanted to go help her it took a long time for me to get to the line by the time i got out turns out she was parked not too far from my car mm-hmm. the last thing i saw before she got in her car she'd already unloaded all these groceries she was pushing her cart across this parking lot back to the soul.
1: Different generation.
0: It's a different generation. And I thought, my God, this is what it comes down to. Self-responsibility, that social contract, the phrase you use is so right, is so poignant. Ownership and and pride and understanding. I, I'm usually my own worst problem if people thought like that, other than blaming external forces on whatever life brings, we'd be uh, much better off. But this is excellent. What we're talking about is, and again, the, the the broken window theory is like two plus two. I don't care how old it is. You're 100% right. It works. Your example of those kids not coming back, or at least not coming back and committing the same violations they did before, what better example is there? They learned that's unacceptable, not in this county. And, and here we have we're going the opposite way across this country in so many jurisdictions. I know you're aware of that, but again, I hope people are listening to learn from you about what you're doing. Um, and I know that carries on into the, you know, the, the, you know, the breaking enterings and cars and the petty thefts the, at the at the at the uh, Walmart. I know from your, your chief operations how seriously you take that, how hard you work to solve those petty crimes, and uh, I know it works very, very well and it ensures a quality of life in, in your county.
1: Yeah. You know what? And and listen, at the end of the day, I live here. Uh, it matters. you right. It, it matters to me. And, you know, one of the things about the adherence to the rule of law is it's not what I want it to be. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I tell people that a mm-hmm. lot, you know, for instance, you yeah. have a maybe a crime that's gets a lot of press and maybe there's a push to make an arrest. You've got to make the arrest. you got to make an arrest, arrest somebody. Well, I'm not in the arrest somebody business. I'm in the arrest the right people business. Right. Okay. And, 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 and so, you know, that, I think that's the advantage of being a sheriff, too, quite honestly, is because we'll just say, look, we're, we're this is this is the limitations of the law. This is what the law is. We can't make an arrest. I, I've I've fundamentally found I don't know if you if you feel this way, chief, but most of the time people don't always expect success. They expect effort. Mm-hmm. They expect an honest effort. And if you'll communicate the honest effort, even when you don't solve the crime, most people are, are OK with that. They They yes. know, you know, maybe it's. You know, I probably shouldn't have left my keys in the car with the gun sitting on the front seat. And you know, the sheriff's office did the best they could. But, you know, and, and so I, I I, tell my wife, you know, this is a supportive area um, for law enforcement. The, the area of Florida here, the panhandle, is extremely uh, supportive of their men and women in law enforcement public safety. I mean, I, the Florida legislature this year just passed which is the strongest, m- most pro-law enforcement piece of legislation I've seen in my 30-plus years. I don't know anybody that's seen anything like what they just passed. And it, mm-hmm. it is a myriad of things up to and including, hey, by the way, if you'll come from out of state here, we'll give you a $5,000 hiring bonus to help you move mm-hmm. with your expenses. And then I'll match another $5,000 on top of it, right? Wow. Hey, Florida, will give you an equivalency. Florida weigh, you know, gives you $25,000 if you're a law enforcement officer. If you adopt a child to help you through the adoption process, wow. they, you know, helping paying for the education. If their officers are wounded or killed in the line of duty, we pay for your entire ed- the education, of your children, your family to make sure that you're taken care of. I mean, just a litany of things that are so uh, that doubling the homestead exemption on our taxes, a tax break for law enforcement officers that are working to come to these communities. So, you know, I mean, yeah. And I think I think it speaks to this to this philosophy. And by the way, that passed both Democrat and Republican in the Florida legislature.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Pretty pretty strong. Pretty strong. Yeah,
0: it is wonderful. And it's a sample how uh, an example of how uh, people with different general political philosophies can come together on the basics, the civility of a society. These are the things that we we used to share common ground with um, that, again, um, except for places like Florida are, are uh, all too rare across the country. You know, there's another topic that I, I really want uh, to talk about um, because it's it's rare, but obviously incredibly impactful. Uh, something obviously recently in the news, Uvalde, Texas uh, is an example of these uh, school shootings, these uh, after-shooter incidents. And what you're doing there in Walton County is another example of where you as a sheriff and, and, and the department as a whole have been very proactive, not, not responsive, but proactive when it comes to this topic. And I'm a, I'm, I understand that you actually have deputies at each of the schools in, in Walton County. And in addition to that, you actually, um, employee, so to speak, you utilize citizens there as well as, as Guardians. part of that team. And I'd like for you to talk a, a little bit about that before we start winding things down, because it's such an impactful thing, but it shows how proactive you, you are as an agency.
1: So uh, what, you know, and this is the, I think the worst nightmare any of us can imagine, right? Uh, anything that happening with our, with our children. Uh, after Sandy Hook, we made a philosophical decision here that we were going to place deputy sheriffs in every school. And, you know, what you used to put in, in schools was the man or woman who was retired on duty, you know, didn't mm-hmm. didn't want to push that green and white anymore. Maybe they didn't. And we said, you know what? We're not going to have those people around our kids. We want people that want to be around these children that have a heart for for working with kids, but are also prepared to do battle should it come to that. So we did that. Um, that was, gosh, was, I think Sandy Hook was twenty. 14, maybe something like that.
0: I believe so. Yeah. And then yeah, February,
1: yeah. And then February of, you know, 2018, the the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacre took place in, in Marjory Stoneman Douglas high school in, uh, in Southern Florida, Broward County, Florida, where just, you know, unbelievable tragedy killing of those, of those kids uh, and a, a, and a uh, a coach named Aaron Feist who tried to intervene yeah. and stop that gunman. After that, oh, by the way, the sheriff of Broward County, Florida was removed from office for the failure of his deputies to prevent that. Wow. So at the end of the day, that's the captain of the ship. So you yeah. got it. You have to know that when you sign up for this job, um, governor, then governor Rick Scott appointed me to head the um, chair the immediate response to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas to give the legislators some you know, let's do something. And, and I, and I'll, you know, if you've been around government long, you know that they don't act fast with anything, but I can tell you from about 15 days after our initial recommendations, they had passed substantive legislative change in Florida law. And what it said was, you're going to put sheriff, you will put deputies in every school in the state of Florida, period. If there is 999, um, Students, there'll be a deputy. If there's a thousand to, to one ninety-nine to a thousand ninety nine, there'll be two deputies. And I mean if one of them has to step across the street, there'll be another deputy called in off the road to replace them. So we were already ahead of the curve here because we had we had already taken that stance. Right. But it author also authorized uh, what is the, the called the guardian program and it allowed the sheriff in each county to make a decision as to whether or not to arm volunteers, citizens, teachers as deemed appropriate. And I, and I realized what a controversial subject that can be, yeah. but there was already a caveat in Florida law that allowed a special deputy. And so in the, for instance, in Walton County, we've done it, but we've done it both ways, which I met with my superintendent here. And we had a very, who's an elected, the superintendent in this County is elected. And we had a, you know, a heart to heart about what, they wanted and how we could best protect these students. Um, so everything from a security plans to thoughtful a hardening of schools where we can. But then the discussion came up about arming these folks. Mm-hmm. And what I said was this. They have to meet a standard. We have to ensure the adherence to the standard. And we have to make sure that we have the right people before this. I'm going to sign my name to this. And we went out and created, I think, and, and hired with the school district here. And I give them a lot of credit. They hired these individuals and I empowered them to bear arms in the defense of children. And, you know, I, I think we've got the right people. I think it is uh, all about it. Ad- again, adherence to a set of principles and to standards. But it absolutely increases our presence and our ability to deter those who would do harm. These are not, these guardians are not anybody that just decided they'd walk in and said, well, I was in the army 20 years ago. I'm going to be a guardian. That's not the way that works. I have to sign off. I sign those personally. And, you know, so because I need to make sure that they achieve a certain level of training, retraining and understanding of what's expected and that they can shoot and perform at a certain level. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it's, it, it can be a somewhat controversial program for some folks. Somebody I said, well, what about teachers? You know, should a teacher, a teacher can be a guardian. What I do is I, I, the superintendent will send me, if there's somebody that he has an interest in, we look at their background, they go through the polygraph, they do a psychological exam, they go through training, they go through a lot of range time, and they have a very narrow scope of authority, which is this, put yourself in harm's way to save a child, It's no more complex than that.
0: Excellent. And by the way, I didn't know about <clears throat> about the teachers. Do you have a fair number of teachers who are guardians?
1: No, you, you actually do. You, you have a couple. You don't have, that, that's actually, most of them are full-time guardians. Gotcha. These are folks that they said, you know, hey, we want them. Uh, we I, I'm not a real big fan of bifurcation of duties. Yeah. You know, I'm I just, I'm not. If you're a teacher, you're a teacher. I think that's I don't want your mind split. And the other thing is that I was super concerned with was the retention of those weapons mm-hmm. because those weapons, the worst, you know, the two things that happen. One is you misplace that weapon. You use that weapon in the wrong. It's not in the proper holster. It's not properly retained. You've left it in a purse. You've left it in your car. You know, w- we had to eliminate that as a potential possibility. And then most people did not want the burden of the standard we set for the guardians. It's it's right. it's not a it's not I've got a concealed weapons permit. It's, it's it's way more way more to it than that. So we've set a pretty high standard, but I think they, the school district I've been super pleased, uh, and I can't say enough about our superintendent here, Mr. Russell Hughes. You know he he fundamentally gets it. We we ran an active shooter uh, table uh, an exercise actually this last Friday, and so you end up having you know forty or fifty deputies. Uh, You know, we shut down a school afterwards and we just we ran through a full active shooter simulations, the whole nine yards to see. And we said, you know what? Break it. Let's figure out where our weak points. Let's break it. Let's figure out where it is. And we found areas that needed improvement. Right. But he was willing to work with us on that, which was super important. Well, the partnerships, you know,
0: it's the words overused. But true partnerships, again, come down to, uh, to principles, to a focused objective. And uh, to have some have a partner like that in the school district is is um, is a blessing for you and the students Um, and going back to the point that only a couple, I guess, of the teachers have decided to be guardians goes to the the professionalism and the level of standards around the guardian program. In other words, you exclude a lot of people who voluntarily say, hey, no, it's not for me. That's a good thing. We're not putting people in place that shouldn't be there, that don't wanna be there, that Absolutely. are that are questioned about it. This is a screening process and thank God for them, knowing that this is not right for me. That's what we want. We only want people in those places that that feel comfortable, and
1: are proficient. Wow, that's a Come, right and response, Chief, that's a rights and responsibility, yeah. right? Again, right. you may have the right to bear arms. You may not have the responsibility well, to be responsible of it, and, and and that's an important distinction.
0: Well it, it is, and it kind of bleeds right you know perfectly into uh, you know the segue is perfect. The next thing I want to talk about um, and that's really the effect or or maybe no effect of uh, the fairly recent recent ruling by uh, the Supreme Court about the permitting of of, uh, firearms, CCWs across the country, that there's no no longer a need to prove you need to carry a weapon. I'm curious, um, was there any real effect uh, in the state of Florida, in the county of Walton after that ruling for the Supreme Court, or is it more status quo?
1: So, a couple of things. One, that that New York case that you're talking about that they struck yes. down the 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 CCW concealed weapons uh, permit. Florida has a very robust concealed weapons uh, program, mm-hmm. but I will tell you, I I think philosophically, I have spoken to legislative leadership and in, in uh, going forward, and the governor has been pretty open about this. That I think they're going to end the, the concealed weapons permit program of the state of Florida. Now that hasn't happened, but I, if, if if you ask me to lay money on it, I will mm-hmm. tell you I think that's that is going to come to an end and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, that's actually one that's easier for me to agree to because quite frankly, the only people that are getting concealed weapons permits are people that are honest and adhere to the law. I mean right. so, so we're getting the people that are, that are going and already signing up and doing that. Uh, yeah. I, I think that is probably going to be the law of the land in Florida in about a year. Gotcha. Florida has reciprocity with other states on their concealed weapons permit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there is, I, I would, I couldn't venture to how many uh, concealed weapons are issued in the state of Florida, but it is a bunch. Florida is a very um, gun friendly state. Maybe yeah. is the is the appropriate word for that. I think the issue for us will come down to whether or not they allow open carrier open carry. Right. Which is a little bit different, right? Big difference. Uh, actually. Yeah. And, and yes. listen, I, I've been very, very open about this. I'm not in favor of open carry for, for a couple yeah. of reasons. Uh, I, you know, having been involved in youth sports, if you see the yeah. way people act in youth sports, I can tell you, um, uh, if, if, if carrying a rifle across your back was, or carrying a weapon in public was a bad idea in Tombstone, it's a bad idea for Disney World. <laughs>
0: So. Well, uh, uh, on that, I agree with you. I think that, uh, I, again, just personally speaking, I don't need to see a necessity for the open carry. Right. A matter of fact, I think that concealed carry is probably more effective because it's really good to keep the bad guys guessing. Absolutely. It really is. Absolutely. do um, about
1: intimidation if you're not careful.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. You can cause a problem that didn't previously exists. So, right. you know, that's my take on that.
1: Agreed. Um, I'm 100% in the same boat with you.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Sheriff, this has been fascinating, but I do want to finish up with this. Um, We've talked about so many things. You've probably covered a lot of what might be in your answer, but I want to give you a chance uh, as a true leader in law enforcement to share with the listeners, the viewers, what you think is the most challenging or some of the most challenging uh, issues that are facing law enforcement in general uh, as we move forward the next five or ten years.
1: So, you, I, I'm, and I'm glad you give me this opportunity, Chief. Because I will tell you, I, I, I had a chance to start working at about a year or two ago with a gentleman by the name of Simon Sinek. He's an author; uh, you may be familiar. He's uh, pretty pretty well known. Um, if you've ever seen his his TED talk on millennials, or uh, had a book called Start Start with Why, and uh, Simon had an interest in. In law enforcement and making sure that the heart of what policing is about in this country, uh, you know, understanding it was under attack and and how to make it uh, really a, an incubator, if you will, for a new way of thinking about law enforcement, and it revolves around something you started this podcast with, which is leadership and what we believe to be. Peelian, you know, after Sir, Sir Robert Peel, Peelian principles that we lost that along the way, and you know, so we we as a group, and, they, and you know, we're it, it's branded, if you will, called the Curve. And there's a couple of reasons for that, but the Curve is put together with this philosophy of increasing law enforcement leadership training and philosoph- philosophies to to get to the point that we reach a tipping point across this country, of producing law enforcement leaders and what they should be. I, I think the dearth of law enforcement leadership is our biggest challenge today. And I yeah. think if we don't, if we don't do something professionally, um, I, I watch, I watch chiefs, uh, uh, law enforcement leaders from across the country. And I don't want to say I'm not passing judgment because I, I guess I am at some point, um, capitulate to, things that I believe are fundamentally fundamentally against their oath of office. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it, it bothers me. You know, I saw the police chief and I, and I apologize. I think she was out of Seattle, maybe Seattle, Seattle. Yes. And you know, they fired her up there. Yes. And I thought now here, this chief, she is trying to do the right thing and hold the line. And man, that's a tough spot to be in. That's a tough spot to be in. And, and, and that's what scares me about this, when county commissions or city councils or state legislature start to micromanage or start to try and manage what laws will and will not be enforced and the tactical manner or the practical manner in which they're going to be carried out, scares me, scares me a lot. It scares me a lot. And and I think leadership, preparing leaders To move forward at all levels of law enforcement over the next five to ten years may be the biggest challenge because listen the the storm's going to come one way or the other right where the anti-law enforcement pro-law enforcement but it's in the leadership and the preparation of those leaderships uh, administrations that we're going to get the good and the bad and i don't think we're doing enough to really train the next generation of law enforcement leaders and, and say listen Well, what what do I stand for? What do I stand for? And I actually think you can go back to Sir Robert Peel's principles from 1839, age forty. They stand today. They stand the test of time. And I think we should go back. And we're a profession that has lost our sense of history of who we are. I think it was abrogated by the Civil War. You know, I think we bifurcated. our. I think we got slowed down by a lot of different things. But I think we go back to those founding principles of Sir Robert Peel. And we start pushing that as a leadership.
0: Well, hate to sound like a broken record, but once again, I agree with you, with Robert Peel, with the, uh, we becoming unmoored from our founding principles, or founding documents. And that's really where, um, along with someone like Robert Peel, with his philosophies about law enforcement, that is where modern law enforcement, uh, its roots are. And once we become unmoored from those things, again, it becomes chaotic and people find themselves in positions of, of quote unquote, leadership in law enforcement agencies, but they're simply working at the whim of whoever put them there. And uh, they're nothing but a bureaucrat with a badge and a gun. It's not true leadership. So I'll tell you what is true leadership, sir. It's you. Uh, I know this from research. I know it from word of mouth, and I certainly have seen it. From being a frequent visitor to Walton County. It has absolutely been an honor, <clears throat> a privilege, and a pleasure to have you on your Leo Nation. Uh, Walton County Sheriff Michael Atkinson, God bless you. Thank you for what you have done for so many years. Thank you for what you're going to do. And thank you for being a true leader and example uh, for others around this country. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Maybe my next trip uh, down there, I'll look you up buy you breakfast or lunch. And um, I look forward to having you on again. So thank you so much, sir.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you for having us. And thank you to your listeners.
0: <clears throat> thank you, folks. Don't forget Your Leonation, where it's right above me right there. Yep. I got it right this time with the right hand. Yourleonation.org. <clears throat> Go there, tell your friends about it. There's a donate button there. Please click on that. That goes to our nonprofit partner. That's not yourleonation.org. That is The Leo Project, it's a nonprofit, it's tax deductible, and we are supporting the families of fallen officers. God bless all of you. God bless America. Sheriff, we'll talk soon. Everyone, have a great day. Bye-bye.